This week on Foamcast Radio, more leaks from Hasbro, including some long-awaited rival offerings, plenty of Battlespace intel to satiate your hunger for battle, and a certain beret wearer is in the war room to give us the YouTuber perspective on the new COPPA rules. Listen up and load up. It's time for the biggest podcast in the world dedicated to foam blaster toys. News, reviews, events, and more. And now, recording from the broadcast bunker, it's Ben Anderson, the host of Foamcast Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I've got a quick sit rep for you before we get into the Stratcom. First of all, I want to give you an apology for this episode being a little bit late. Personal reasons delayed its production, but hopefully you think it's a good episode anyway. Also, because this is the weekend of Black Friday, I won't have any requisition recon for you this week because sales are going to be crazy, but I'll still go ahead and remind you of the different coupon codes that different places have created specifically for my listeners. Alright, no new Foam Patrol member this week, but you can join the Foam Patrol and get your own shout-out by going to foamcastradio.com merch and buying a Foam Patrol shirt. And with that, let's get into the Stratcom. First up, we have the Nerf Rival Charger. This was leaked recently, and we've got some photos available now. It's a 12-round internal magazine-fed flywheel-powered blaster. It looks very similar to the Zeus, but it's clearly inspired by the FNP-90 employed by the U.S. Secret Service. It's interesting that it's fed by an internal magazine, and according to the box art, it uses six batteries. We're not sure of the exact size, but based on the photos that we have, it looks like it uses C batteries. It should sell for 35 US dollars, and we don't have a release date yet. Next up, we have the Nerf Rival Takedown. This leak has actually started popping up on store shelves. It's a pump-action, top-loading, eight-round, spring-powered blaster. It looks like it's got the same internal mechanism as the Kronos, it's just pump-action instead of slide-primed. It's roughly the size of the Nerf Strike Elite Rough Cut, and it's selling for 20 US dollars. This was never officially released, but apparently it is available now as several people have managed to get their hands on them. So far, I don't know exactly which stores have this blaster available, but when I find out, I'll let you know. Next up is the Nerf Star Wars Mandalorian Rocket Gauntlet. This is a single-shot, front-loading, spring-powered blaster that mounts to the user's wrist. It has an unknown priming method, but it appears to be fired by a small button. We don't know the price or the release date for this blaster yet. Next is the Nerf Star Wars Poe Dameron Blaster. This is another single-shot front-loading spring-powered blaster. It's got a top tactical rail, and the trigger activates lights and sounds. It has an unknown priming method, probably either pull-back or pull-down, and we don't know the price or release date of this blaster either. Finally, we've seen leaks for the Nerf Overwatch Tracer Blaster. This is going to be a slide-primed, top-loading, spring-powered blaster. It comes with three rival rounds, and it appears to have a Kronos internal mechanism with a three-round internal magazine. Once again, we don't know the price or the release date for this blaster. But as soon as I find out more information on any of these leaks, I'll let you know. Foamcast Radio is supported by Surfshark. If you've been listening to Foamcast Radio for a while, you've heard me talk about the importance of using a VPN service to protect your privacy online. After using one of their competitors for a while, I tried out Surfshark and I was blown away. 
Their service is faster and more reliable than any other VPN service I've tried, and it even includes tracker and ad blockers so advertising agencies can't track you around the web. And now they're offering an exclusive discount just for my listeners. Only $1.99 a month, a lower price than ExpressVPN, NordVPN, or any of their other competitors. And unlike competing services, Surfshark doesn't limit the number of devices you can use on a single account. Sign up for Surfshark right now and get 83% off the normal price. Take advantage of this offer exclusively available to Foamcast Radio listeners by going to foamcastradio.com surfshark. That's foamcastradio.com surfshark. Thanks to Surfshark for supporting Foamcast Radio. All right, everybody, this week is the week of Black Friday. That means that the sales are going to be all over the place, and there's absolutely no point in me trying to track any of them. So instead, I'm going to skip over that segment almost entirely this week and just stick to the coupon codes. If you make a purchase from SM Enterprises, use the code FOAMCAST to get 10% off. If you make a purchase from Flux Sunglasses, use the coupon code FLUXCAST10 for 10% off. And if you purchase the game Bad Aim on Amazon, use the coupon code 5FOAMCAST for 5% off. Now that Flux Sunglasses code expires on December 31st, so you've only got about a month left to use it. And the Bad Aim coupon code expires on Christmas, so make sure that you use it before then. Finally, it's your weekly reminder to go join the Facebook fan group Foamcast Radio Fans, where I post giveaways from all the different blaster manufacturers and mod stores. Alright, let's get into this weekend's Battlespace Intel. On Friday, November 29th, the Garden State Nerf Squad is having their mod and loadout workshop in Paramus, New Jersey. Then on Saturday, November 30th, CSRA Nerfers United are having their War Number 20 in Augusta, Georgia. University of Waterloo HVZ is having their Fall 2019 Invitational in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And Project My Neighborhood is having their Toys for Tots battle in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Then on Sunday, December 1st, the Carolina Nerf Association is having their Darts at the Park and Rival League events in Burlington, North Carolina. Big thanks to everyone who submitted their events this week. To make sure your event gets mentioned on the podcast, visit foamcastradio.com intel. All right, I've got a quick after-action review for you. Last weekend, I went to Strike Zone Arena out in Spokane Valley, Washington. About a dozen people showed up with all their modded blasters. And this time, I did something new. I live-streamed with a camera stabilization gimbal. Now, the audio quality of these live streams was not very good, and I apologize for that. Future streams should be better thanks to some changed settings and new hardware. If you want to watch future live streams, make sure you're following at Foamcast Radio on Facebook and turn on those live event notifications. Foamcast Radio is supported by SM Enterprises. If you're like me, the first thing you do when you get a new blaster is open it up and start modding it. But what if you didn't have to? My friends at SM Enterprises are professional blaster modders with the equipment and experience necessary to provide premium quality, high performance modded blasters at reasonable prices. Their highly rated online store offers many of the most popular blasters in a variety of configurations. Or, if you prefer doing the upgrades yourself, they also offer great modding components, like pre-cut K26 springs, spring spacers, tools, and more. They even have a variety of ammo types to choose from. 
And for a limited time, SM Enterprises is offering my listeners an exclusive discount. Order now and use coupon code FOAMCAST to get 10% off your entire order. Take advantage of this offer exclusively available to FOAMCAST Radio listeners by going to foamcastradio.com slash smenterprises. That's foamcastradio.com slash smenterprises. Thanks to SM Enterprises for supporting FOAMCAST Radio. All right, everybody, it's time to announce the winner of the Counterintelligence Contest. This week's winner is Chris Glennon. He'll be receiving a Kronos Door Delete and K26 Spring provided by my sponsor, SM Enterprises. Stay tuned for more giveaways, and if you have something you'd like to give away to one of my listeners, send me an email at info at foamcastradio.com. All right, everybody, this week I'm really excited to be talking once again to Brett Screechfield. He's a YouTuber and game organizer for the Pacific Northwest Nerf Club. Brett, how are you doing today? Doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, the last time you were here was way back in May on episode 53. And so if people haven't heard that and they want to learn a little bit more about you, I think they definitely should go listen to that. But for people who have not heard a lot about you, maybe don't know a lot about your background, um, can you give us a quick recap of how you actually got into the blaster hobby? Sure. So I started in the blaster hobby when I was in middle school, and I've been hooked ever since. So it's been over a decade since I've been playing with Nerf and toy blasters alike. I had a bit of a dry spell in college, ironically, when many other people actually get into the hobby. And then it just picked up after I left and found some more people in my area. I have been in the Pacific Northwest flinging foam for the past couple of years with a lot of other folks. So we've grown the Pacific Northwest uh, Nerf Club and the Nerf scene around here extensively. And in that time, I I started a YouTube channel. And so for almost three years now, I've been uh, making my own style of Nerf videos, sometimes gameplay footage, sometimes just raw entertainment silliness. Uh, I'm not really sure how to properly categorize what I do, and uh, I'll let people (laughs) figure that out for themselves. But it's mostly just about bringing people joy and showing off some cool blasters, cool gameplay footage um, in different places that I go to. And that's, uh, I guess, why you could call me a Nerf YouTuber. Hooray! So uh, your, your mention about being unsure of how to categorize your content is actually a perfect segue into today's topic. The reason that I invite you onto the podcast today is because we are going to talk about the new COPPA rules and how they are affecting YouTube. And I invited you on because you create content for YouTube. And so you kind of have a perspective on the subject that I wouldn't necessarily have. And I think probably most of my audience doesn't have. Um, and so before we actually get into the discussion and the questions, I do want to sort of give a little bit of a disclaimer to my audience. Neither one of us knows any more about COPPA or about how it's going to affect YouTube or the, the things that are going to happen any more than the public information that's already available out there. So we are going to be doing quite a bit of speculating and talking about what we think might happen. Uh, we'll do our best to try to delineate between when we are talking about stuff that we know for sure, you know, the FTC has said this, YouTube has said that, versus when we are sort of drawing our own conclusions. But ultimately, there's going to be a mixture. And this is going to be a little bit more of a free-form conversation. I guess first things first, can you maybe give a breakdown to my listeners of what COPPA actually is? 
Sure. So this one isn't so much debatable. We know what this is. This is from the FTC's website. Uh, So COPPA, as we're pronouncing it, or COPPA, some people say, C-O-P-P-A, Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act. It was passed in Congress in 1998. It protects the privacy of children under the age of 13. COPPA requires operators of commercial websites and online services that are directed to children to provide notice and obtain verifiable parental consent before they collect personal information information from kids under 13. And personal information here includes things like child's first and last name or home address, but also IP address or a cookie when it's used to serve targeted ads. And that, of course, is the big one here, uh, why YouTube is involved. Yeah, so so YouTube recently made a huge settlement with the FTC, right? What what sort of happened there? How did that come about? I know that they got fined a lot of money, but what exactly was the case about? That's right. YouTube got to pay the FTC $170 million. And it's a big number, but it's also a small number when you consider what YouTube has backing them. So, But it was still a, a pretty big case. But ultimately, it was very simple. YouTube got caught breaking the law. COPPA protects children under the age of 13, protects their personal data. And what YouTube did was they were advertising that they had the ability to serve targeted ads to children under the age of 13. That's illegal. If it was the case that YouTube didn't know that that's what was happening, it might be a different story. But they were very blatant about it. And so finally, it was brought up to the FTC that this was happening. They investigated, and here we are. So in addition to that $170 million fine, YouTube also agreed to make a bunch of different changes to their website and how it functions. So what are the changes that we know about anyway that are happening at YouTube as a result of this case? So what's going to be changing at YouTube is that Come January 2020, there are going to be two different ways that you can mark your videos. Uh, When you upload a video to YouTube, you will either be asked to mark it for kids or not for kids. And the reason this has come up recently is because earlier in November, uh, YouTube rolled out that option. So now when you go to upload a video, you see those two options for you. And they released a video detailing uh, some of the strategies for marking that and the uh, other information from the FTC on how to comply with COPPA. Unfortunately for them, it created a lot more questions. And here we are today. Yeah, so we are going to get into some of those questions. I'm sure by now, one of the questions that some of my listeners are asking is, what does this have to do with the blaster hobby? And we are going to get into why this is relevant and interesting and why we're talking about it. But before we get to that, I've got a quick message from one of my hand-selected sponsors, and then we'll be right back. Foamcast Radio is supported by LifeAid. When I get out on the foam battlefield, I ask a lot of my body. Both my muscles and my mind get pushed to their absolute limits. That's why I depend on the nutrients and natural ingredients of LifeAid beverages to boost my performance both on and off the battlefield. Whether it's Focus Aid to help me keep a clear head in the midst of the chaos, Fit Aid to help me recover after a skirmish, or Party Aid to rehydrate after a long day of combat, I know I can count on the all-natural ingredients of Life Aid beverages to keep me going. For a limited time, Life Aid is offering my listeners an exclusive discount of $20 off your first purchase of a 24-pack. Stop filling your body with energy drinks packed with artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners that will dehydrate you and leave you feeling drained. 
Try the delicious and healthy Life Aid beverages today. Order a 24 pack of Life Aid right now and get $20 off. Take advantage of this offer exclusively available to Foamcast Radio listeners by going to foamcastradio.com slash lifeaid. That's foamcastradio.com slash L-I-F-E-A-I-D. Thanks to Life Aid for supporting Foamcast Radio. All right, everybody, we are back with Brett Screechfield, also known as Beret, um, and we are talking a little bit about COPPA and how is it affecting YouTube. And now I want to kind of transition a little bit into how it's going to specifically affect nerf-oriented or blaster hobby-oriented content on YouTube. Brett, what do you think uh, these new rules are actually going to mean for the blaster hobby-oriented content creators? That is the $42,000 question of the day. It is really unclear what is going to happen for people like myself, like a lot of my other friends who make nerf YouTube videos, what is actually going to happen. And it's not just us. It's a lot of people in this same space who just make videos that might be affected by this. There's a lot of ambiguity from YouTube's end, from the FTC's end, and the language is really what's doing that for us. Because when when people are trying to determine, is my video meant for kids or is it not meant for kids? Well, originally, YouTube is supposed to be for non-kids. It's, it's ages 13 and up. That's what you agree to when, when you sign up for a YouTube account. Clearly, this has not been happening. That's why we're talking about it today. But when YouTube puts out their help for deciding whether or not your channel is made for kids, uh, your, your channel or your videos, you can set your preferences at the channel level that your entire channel is meant for kids, or you can do it video by video. They say you should include various factors such as subject matter of the video, uh, whether children are your intended or actual audience, which is kind of weird because am I trying to appeal to kids or do I just accidentally appeal to kids? That's kind of odd. Whether the video includes child actors or models, and then the big one, whether the video includes characters, celebrities, or toys that appeal to children, including animated characters or cartoon figures. And that unlocks a lot of other conversations where many other hobbies that use YouTube as a platform for sharing videos comes into into question. But it's that, that one part right there, toys that appeal to children. We have to ask ourselves, are we showing off toys that appeal to children? Because at a surface level, if I walked out on the street right now and asked someone holding like a, you know, a Nerf retaliator and said, hey, does this appeal to children? I feel like I get a lot of feedback that said, yes, this does appeal to children. That's a children's toy. And some numbers would be there to back that up. I think the retaliator, the, the elite retaliator from Nerf is ages eight and up. Now, I also, if I if I go and check my channel right now, some of my recent uploads I can see that I uploaded uh, some reviews recently. One of my reviews was of the Nerf Rival Knockout. If I go out and take the Nerf Rival Knockout to people on the street and I said, hey, is this for kids? Then maybe the same number of people would say, oh, it's a Nerf, it's a Nerf gun. They wouldn't say blaster. They'd say it's a Nerf gun. Sure, it appeals to kids. You and I both know that the rival line is for ages 14 and up. Does that protect it as not for kids? Well, I don't know. Well, was the review in itself meant for kids? Was that my targeted audience? Was I trying to target kids or was I just putting out a review of a product that I purchased at a store? That's where a lot of this uncertainty is because I would say that I picked up my Nerf Rival Knockout to play around with it, to show people, to share my opinions, and I, I got some gameplay footage with it. Now, the gameplay footage happens at our local games, and sometimes there you will see 
kids. Maybe they are 13 years of age or uh, or under 13 years of age. And so maybe there could be some compliance issues there. It's unclear. But ultimately, I mean, I'm an adult playing with a toy, sharing my thoughts. I'm not modding it. I'm just showing it off. It's not a sponsored video. I just picked it up myself from the store. No one's paying me to do it, except YouTube has their ads rolling on it. There's a lot of uncertainties there. And that's just, you know, the simple one where it's a blaster on the screen. It's clearly from Nerf. It's got some bright colors. Does it appeal to children? I think it does. Was that my intent? I I don't know. I also have a review of a 3D printed blaster, like right after that, the NG2 Goblin. Well, that's not Nerf. Does it appeal to children? Are children the primary audience? I couldn't tell you if uh, what my opinion is versus someone else's opinion. That could vary wildly. So what that means for uh, Nerf-oriented content creators right now is a big, fat question mark. Because you could probably ask a lot of us who make Nerf-oriented videos, and the responses will be varied. And it doesn't just have to be because they use certain language or not. You know, not because they're cursing in some videos or not, be it on purpose or accidentally. We, I think everyone has a slightly different opinion on what this means or has the potential to mean for Nerf-oriented content creators. But at the extreme, it, it could seem like all your videos that have the word Nerf in it or a Nerf blaster in the thumbnail could potentially be targeted by this, but that would be quite extreme. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of vagueness and Kappa itself doesn't seem to be very clear about what exactly is a violation of the rule and what is not. Their their main premise is about, you know, protecting the data of children under 13 and kind of going after people who are violating that, people who are targeting children under 13 for advertising and stuff like that. But then the question becomes, well, what is targeting kids? And how do you determine if something is targeting kids? And so there's certain guidelines that the FTC has put out. Uh, YouTube has said that there is potentially more on the way. They say in their own documentation, unfortunately, we're unable to provide guidance on whether you accurately set your audience as made for kids. So I think that YouTube even is confused about this and doesn't really know the right way to go. They even say, seek legal counsel if you're still unsure. So um, to me, that means that YouTube doesn't even fully understand what FTC's criteria are for determining if something is in violation or not. And so they're kind of passing that responsibility on to the content creator. And so I I guess that kind of leads me to another question, which is, is this going to, do you think that this is going to have like a chilling effect on content creators who either already have channels now putting up stuff about the blaster hobby, or maybe even aspiring content creators, people who were thinking about making one of these channels, but now maybe they're not so sure. And I think right off the bat, it definitely has had an effect because whether or not, you know, you've been considering making a YouTube channel for a while or just, you know, sharing your mod guide, this uncertainty, even if, you know, it gets rectified in a little bit, which I I really hope that we can be talking about this at the end of December in a different light with finally some more clarity. I'll hold my breath on that one, but not for too much longer. Even if that is what happens, there's still people who see this right now as, wow, this is really screwed up. I have no idea what could happen. I don't want to risk X, Y, and Z because in some in some places you look and what you hear is that their interpretation based off of what they read or see 
is that if I make a video with a Nerf blaster in it, that I can directly be fined $42,000 by the FTC and go to court. That's in some people's minds, that's what they see as a potential, and that's a no-go, which is definitely not what's going to happen. That's the extreme and a very pieced-together uh, potential reality. 42000 some odd dollars is the maximum that the FTC has put out, and that is also, we were, we were discussing this before, we're not even sure if that applies to the YouTube content creator or YouTube itself. That's how unclear this is, and that shouldn't be unclear. But why would you want to wrap yourself up with some of those uh, uncertainties if you just really want to put out a video of a of a Nerf blaster that you have, or you want to share some gameplay footage? That doesn't seem very appealing if that could happen. So even aside from all that too, say that, you know, this gets sorted out, not a big deal. You still have to mark your video as for kids or not for kids at this current time. If you mark your video as not for kids, then nothing should change. Uh, all is well and right in the world. And I think, you know, it's just another day. If you mark your video as for kids, then you get hit with a lot of restrictions, which is why people are very hesitant to play the safe card um, and mark their video as not for kids. So if you do mark your video as not for kids, the the big one that people who make a living off of YouTube are uh, a bit worried about is that they lose their targeted ads. Now, the targeted ads are the ones based off of that collected information um, and give you the most ad revenue. So for the people, like I said, who make their living, that could be a, a serious hindrance. And we don't have as many people in the Nerf space doing that, but that doesn't mean that people wouldn't still be affected if that happens. And I don't think that's that's not something that would probably change anyways. Like if come January, you still mark your video as for kids. I think that is an expected change to happen. They will take away your targeted ads and you will see a decrease in revenue on videos that you have marked as for kids. Okay, that probably doesn't affect anyone. People, the YouTubers complain about ad revenue all the time. Big deal, guys. Well, but it gets worse because what also can happen, whether you're monetized or not, you stop getting a lot of the uh, features that having a YouTube channel allows you to utilize. So if I post a video and say my entire channel as is marked as for kids, then I believe all the notifications go away. You have to pretty much search up my channel to find my new videos. They might show up in your subscription box. They might not. I'd have to double check that one. But notifications, gone. Community tab for those who use it, gone. And other various features which just kind of make it harder for people to be expected to see your videos. They also say that it'll take away your videos as being suggested. Now, that sounds like a bit of a, a weird one or unnecessary. But funny enough, when I, when I go to my analytics and see how many people are watching my video that say aren't subscribed versus subscribed. If I pull up my uh, watch time from subscribers for the last 28 days, it says that 65% of the people who watch my videos are not subscribed, which is, that's kind of weird, especially when you're getting, you know, a fraction of your subscription count uh, watching your videos. But it's like, oh, wow. So if your videos stop getting recommended to other people, you're going to see a huge decrease in people actually watching your stuff. And essentially, what that si it seems to kind of mean is that your channel probably just is not going to keep growing anymore. Um, we like channel growth. We like people to 
you know, happen to see a, a Nerf video, click on it and be like, oh, this is pretty cool. And they start watching more and more and they get involved, they get active, maybe they even find their own games. But that ability is going to disappear if videos is mar- are marked as for kids. And then, of course, the other one I completely spaced on because it's the fun one. Uh, videos marked as for kids will lose their comments. And while YouTube as a whole is known for its interesting and unique and colorful comment sections, I would say that Nerf videos like the ones that I make and many of my friends, we really, really appreciate our comment section. They give us ideas. They give us pleasant discourse. They give us constructive criticisms. They are really fun to use to engage with people that we may never actually see. Or it's our best friends who are completely trolling us. But regardless, we like our comment sections. And it's really fun to leave a comment on a video and you say, hey, that was a really cool game. Good job editing this. Or just, that was a really interesting review. Thanks for reviewing that blaster. I'm not going to go and buy one. But that's going to be gone if you mark your video as a four kids video. Doesn't matter, matter if you're monetized or not, gone. And again, I don't think that's going to change if uh, January 1st comes around and even more things have been clarified. You mark your video as four kids, those features disappear. And that's not really something that I would want to risk doing if uh, I was just starting up a YouTube channel. I'd probably want to have comments on it, but I wouldn't really know what qualifies at the time. Yeah, I definitely think that that's concerning for a lot of people. Um, there, there are a ton of different features that basically get taken away from you if you mark your channel as made for kids. And so it's not just about the the ad revenue. Obviously, that is a concern because a lot of people who are producing content for YouTube are depending on that ad revenue to help fund their content. But even with that aside, you've got all these other things that are being taken away too, like the notification bell, um, being able to save the videos to a playlist, um, all sorts of different features that basically just evaporate if your channel is marked as made for kids. And then on top of that, even if you don't mark your channel as made for kids, YouTube might just determine that it is and change it for you. So one of the things that uh, YouTube has said is that they're actually going to use machine learning to basically go in and adjust people's audience settings for their videos so that if you set your audience to say that it's not for kids, but then the machine learning AI program that YouTube has developed determines that it actually is for kids and you're either lying or wrong, they will just switch it to being made for kids and you won't be able to change it back. Of course, they say that you will be able to send feedback to them, but previous experience with these sorts of features and trying to appeal decisions to YouTube have told us that this might not necessarily go your way. So that's another concern, uh, the fact that they might just end up changing the audience for you, regardless of what you actually believe to be true about your content or about your channel. Now, you did mention the $42,000 fine. This is something that FTC has actually uh, stated that they have the authority to levy against operators of websites or services that are found to be in violation. And it seems like a lot of people have sort of interpreted this as the FTC basically saying that if somebody posts something on YouTube and it is a video for kids, but they say that it's not for kids, but the FTC disagrees, then the FTC is going to fine that individual content creator $42,000 on their first strike. 
And we were talking a little bit about this earlier. Do you think that that is a particularly likely outcome? <laughs> Absolutely. Every single person is going to get a $42,000 fine on January 1st, and it is going to be amazing. No, it's not It's not going to happen like that. We, we can't imagine that actually taking place. And it's the up to $42,000 some odd dollars that uh, is important to remember too. But, you know, even a, a small fine would be would be a problem for people. That would be quite discouraging and quite a deterrent on uh, risking marking your channel as not for kids if that was to to happen. But yeah, the, the question of how would that process even take place? Do I get a warning before you levy this fine against me if that's what's going to happen? Uh, does it come from YouTube? Does it come from the FTC? Because if for some reason I have a video as marked uh, not for kids and then someone comes and says, uh, no, that is for kids. And you say you or, or they won't change it, but they'll say you need to change it and we'll give you this amount of time to do it. I'd say, OK, sure. Or I'd appeal it in that process and then we would go from there. I personally don't want to go to court just to argue that my Nerf video is not for kids because court is expensive and time consuming and probably not worth it on my scale. But if someone told me that I needed to change a video to comply, I would probably do it and then I would learn and maybe readjust next time. But that hasn't been specified. We don't know if that's going to happen because it would be kind of unreasonable for someone just to come immediately with a fine too without giving you some some warning. But like I said, who would do that? YouTube, the the FTC? It's kind of unclear. Yeah, I, I think that what we what we don't know in this situation is just what you said. Like who is actually going to be levying that fine and against whom will it be levied? Uh, we don't even know if this is something that can be levied against a content creator or if it would potentially be levied against YouTube itself. Uh, which is basically what just happened with this $170 million judgment. So this is where we get into my speculation. I don't think that any content creator is ever going to be fined a single dollar. I think that there is a possibility that if someone is repeatedly abusing the system and causing YouTube to have to pay fines to the FTC, then YouTube might sue them personally for damages. But I think that the only fines that are going to be levied are just like the one that just was levied, which was the FTC going after YouTube for their violations or for allowing violations on their platform. But I, I don't think that it's going to be $42,000 every time, and I definitely don't think it's going to be against the content creators. But again, this is my speculation based on the information we have, which isn't much. And, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get more going forward, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking. Now, obviously, a lot of this problem stems from the fact that there's a huge lack of clarity, there's a lot of vagueness in both the FTC rule as well as YouTube's policies and the changes that they're making. Do you think that going forward, there's any possibility that any of this is going to get clarified? Maybe things might get reversed or changed? I, I certainly hope that we at least get some clarification, as I've probably already stated. 
Uh, if this is what we're talking about in a month from now, then there's going to be some people who make some choices uh, that are probably, un- unfortunately, incorrect based off of the information at hand. Because right now, what I'm thinking is, okay, this might apply to some of my videos. I don't think my whole channel is made for kids, but I could see how someone might interpret that. So yeah, there might be some videos I mark as for kids. And it seems like, unfortunately, that's also an irreversible process. So think hard, Brett, but better safe than sorry. And for some people, better safe than sorry is I'm out. I'm completely out of the game. I'm going to delete my entire channel. And that would be a very unfortunate thing to do uh, when we still have time to get more feedback from the FTC. And I think even just recently, there was an update to uh, the determining if your content is made for kids section on YouTube. It says updated Friday, November 22nd. So that that is actually recent. Uh, they've So it seems like they are trying to at least get more information out, but that doesn't mean that they are getting the necessary information out that we are all asking for just yet. It seems like also the FTC is still accepting feedback on this COPPA situation with YouTube. So hopefully uh, they'll see some more of the outcries from content creators who are seriously going to be affected by this because uh, they're complaining that this is going to target family-friendly content on YouTube. The big question with all this, right, you know, is it kids or not for kids? It seems to kind of hit that gray area where people are making videos. I'll throw myself in there too. People are making videos that kind of appeal to a wide audience, right? Like I make videos for people like myself. You don't have to be exactly like me, but people who are similar to myself, they enjoy Nerf. Uh, Maybe they're adults too, and they, they just enjoy having fun and being an adult, but still being silly. Maybe they have kids and their kids like it too. That's totally fine. But if someone comes to me and says, no, 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 you have to pick one or the other, kid or not kid, I'd I'd say, uh, shoot, uh, okay, can I see the numbers on like maybe where the numbers would defend me? And still on determining uh, if your content is made for kids from YouTube, they say that you can't rely on your own analytics to determine if your content is child-directed. So that one's still unclear because that section from YouTube uh, in your analytics, you can see how old your viewers are, and it only starts at the age of 13. Unfortunately, I think we know that that is incorrect. So we don't even have the appropriate tools to make some of these decisions. So it would be interesting if we got the ability to make those decisions uh, clarified for us uh, through numbers. I, I don't know if I, I want those tools, but that might be something that people would want. Something more, which gives us more clarity into what data actually has been collected. And so like, what are we working with? Because right now I'm operating under the assumption that most people who watch my videos are between the ages of 18 and 44. And I have a feeling that there's a, a wide range of uh, Nerf YouTubers who find themselves, they're my similar age or go to my similar games, find themselves in a, a similar It would be interesting if we found that that was definitely not the case, but we have no way of knowing. So if YouTube wanted to clarify that and then let us make some decisions based off of that data, huh, interesting. But that also still doesn't mean that it's for kids. We could still be targeting adults. Yeah, and you know, earlier uh, when we were talking, I mentioned a YouTube channel that I really enjoy that is... I don't think targeted towards children at all. And I'm talking about the Hydraulic Press channel. It's this really fun 
channel on YouTube where they use a big hydraulic press to crush things. And I don't think it's made for kids at all. Uh, the, the people in the videos swear quite a bit. It's, it's not like family friendly content, but I could totally see a lot of kids being interested and wanting to watch those videos. And so that I think would be an example of where the audience of a video or rather the, the appeal of a video wouldn't necessarily help you to determine whether or not it is made for kids or not. So, you know, there's there's so many different factors to consider, and then ultimately what it comes down to is a judgment call, and what if my judgment is different from somebody else's? You know, what if the FTC's judgment call is different from your judgment call? Um, and so these are some, some questions that we still need answered. And, and I think, like I, you know, like I've been saying this whole time, we need more clarity. We need some specific criteria instead of saying, Hey, evaluate all of these different factors and come up with your own score in your head. Uh, we, we need to have some concrete criteria of if it has this in it, it's for kids. And so I, I hope that we see that on the horizon. Uh, hopefully that's coming. But in the meantime, what are some things that people can do, people who might be concerned about this or would like to reach out to the FTC? What are some options that are out there? There is a petition on change.org that is titled Save Family-Friendly Content on YouTube. It has uh, four points that they're asking the FTC to, one, provide an enforcement uh, statement for creators, two, clarify the definition of child-directed and not expand it to cover child-attractive content, three, delay enforcement against creators until the FTC concludes its review of COPPA. That would also be very uh, kind of them. And four, allow parents to use YouTube Kids or YouTube Main without forcing creators to turn off personalized ads when parents choose to use YouTube Main. There's another one we haven't even talked about. Remember that YouTube Kids exists? Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a funny one. If only people were to use that one too, but I digress. There, that's one petition that people can sign right now, and I, I believe the FTC is accepting feedback right now. Uh, I, I think that's on their website itself. I know I left a comment there expressing my concerns, because there's a great chance that when they introduced these uh, new requirements to YouTube and they first told it to the public, they had no idea the possible implications. Because right now, what seems to be the possible implications is that family-friendly content could suffer because of this, all because people hear that you have to mark kids or not for kids, and their decision on how to challenge that system is to drop some curse words in every single video, and suddenly people who just wanted to make some nice family-friendly content or talk like they normally do are being forced to evaluate if that's the right thing to do. That doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do, but that's hopefully one one way that they can get feedback. It's not guaranteed that that is going to change their minds, but if enough people make enough noise, anything can happen. And clearly, people have been making noise as a result of this, since it affects just so many different outlets and channels on YouTube. That is what people can do to help. Well, Brett, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and talking with me about this and um, kind of giving your viewpoint and perspective from within sort of the, the YouTube YouTube creation sphere. Before I let you go, uh, really quick, can you let people know where they can find and follow you on social media? Well, you can find me on YouTube, so long as nothing drastic changes. 
You can also follow me on Instagram. I sometimes post on Facebook. And I was brave enough to make a TikTok account recently. I don't even know if I've been using it, but it exists. Someone asked me about it once and now it's there. But Instagram and Facebook are always great too. That's where I'm I'm much better at responding. YouTube is YouTube, but that's what I do. Awesome. Well, we will include all of those links in the show notes at foamcastradio.com so people can go and check them out. Uh, Brett, before I let you go, I have that one final question that I ask all my guests at the end of an interview. And that is, of course, what is your favorite blaster? Yes, the blaster question. And I think I remember my answers from last time, probably my Sledgefire and Saxby Z. It'd probably be the same for this time, too. I, I hadn't actually played with either in a good amount of time, though it'd been even longer for that Saxby Z. I picked up my Sledgefire not too long ago, and when I fired it, I was like, oh yeah, that's why I really enjoy my Sledgefire. I may have mentioned that my Power Strike 48 was a favorite, but I actually gave that to Biggs at Ragnar Oktoberfest. So my, my Power Strike 48 is now in New Zealand, hopefully serving a higher purpose and bringing joy to people over there. So I still love my Power Strike 48, but it's doing it's doing work somewhere else. I will say that if I had to surpass these, though, right now, my Spamf has really grown on me. I really do like that Spamf uh, Falconfire kit from Gavin Fuzzy. I've uh, been bringing that to a lot of my games, and even when I don't use it in a game, I find myself kind of walking around with it like, this is really fun to play with. So maybe this time I will change my answer My answer to my spam. That one has been uh, really a really fun pickup for me. Awesome. Brett, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, before I sign off, I've got a quick action item for you. Head to the Foamcast Radio Fans Group and answer this question. What company would you like to see enter the blaster market? I'm talking about companies that don't currently make blasters, but that you think should. Thanks to Surfshark, SM Enterprises, and Life Aid Beverages for sponsoring this episode. Please support the podcast by supporting my sponsors. You can find a complete listing of all my sponsors at foamcastradio.com sponsors. Thanks to Brett Screechfield for being my guest this week. And of course, thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the battlefield. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to make sure you won't miss a single episode. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so it's easy to follow us and share this episode with your friends. You can also find us at foamcastradio.com. We can view the show notes, order merch, and more. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of Foamcast Radio.